Well, hello, 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 and welcome back to Gateway to Anime. Hi, all. What's going on? Charlie, what's up? Hi. Uh, good to be here and good to have a very familiar and special guest next to me. Hello. I love this whole video thing. I can actually see people, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's First it. time an audience. in the an audience well, Hey, guys. Been a while, my friend. Welcome to the new studio. Obviously, you've spent a lot of time in here not recording, but your first recording Mainly snoozing session. snoozing or snoozing, hanging. Hanging, yeah. all sorts of things. <laughs> so this week, we are talking about what it is to be an anime fan, particularly what it is to be a Western anime fan. We talk about Charlie and my rather extensive 20-year experience as an anime fan, how it has evolved, how it has changed. Some which is of the, a lot. It's which, changed a lot. It has so changed a lot. So it's a fascinating topic, and we're just talking about how some of the more toxic elements of the community and some of the more beautiful elements of the community and just how it all comes together, how we're always striving to become better people and fans of things and just learning to let go a little bit as we go along. And it's not just going to be a big pile on about like, oh, gee, how shit's the anime fandom community? Like, not the case. You know, there, there are problematic elements of the fandom and there are wonderful elements of any fan. But we're going to talk about what it is to be an anime fan as a Westerner, which is what this whole podcast is all about. But the thing is, like, Charlie and I have been anime fans for, what, 20, 20 plus years, and we've seen everything change so, so, so much. It's come from either Cheese TV, where it was mostly aimed at kids, and we happened to be kids, so that worked out really well for us, or you had SBS, where you saw the weirder, more, like, left-of-center stuff late night. But if you really wanted to be an anime fan, the only way you could get into it, really, was through piracy. And whether you had someone who knew how to do it, because again, we're talking the internet early days, like a lot of, you know, LimeWire, all this stuff. And like, again, we've talked many times about the VCDs that had Naruto on it for us. That came from a friend of a friend and those VCDs did the rounds and created literally an entire group of anime fans to this day. And that was really the only way you could do it, you know? I also think around that time there was a bit of an explosion of anime DVDs being imported. So I That's think that true. JB Hi-Fi in particular in Australia had like a – for whoever was there, like, good good job. There was like a full anime section. It, it was yeah. sanity as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. all those music stores used yeah. to – Yeah, I think all of a sudden like, Blockbuster, yeah, we always talk about whoever the, like, anime – Movie uni, land. The, the yep. uni student was ordering and stuff and ruined our lives. I think that – before that, though, because mm. what I think it's like Naruto, before it got licensed by four kids and became a cheese TV thing, because it did later. Yes. Um, we very much watched Datibayo subs. We did Datibayo subs. Always, and everyone, I think, remembers this. It's in, it was in yellow. Yes. Yellow subtitles. That was summer because it was done with such like a fan. Like it was not before it went through. I'm not saying that subtitles are, are, are done badly now. They're not. They're great, of course. But it's no. like become a bit more of a corporate thing. I think like this uh, when things are done like lovingly from fans for not for profit and are making no money. There's like a certain extra level of care there. Yeah, uh, I know that I I feel that way sometimes. Like that's that sounds like I'm saying that like you know the poor underpaid subtitle writers. They're all great. Mm. But I think the translation from you know people that were just doing it for fun was like really well done. So our Naruto when we kind of got into it. On the VCDs. Yeah. The VCDs, which, again, were I definitely think, downloaded off the internet. And that was Dutch Bayo. That was Dutch Bayo. And, and I, th I think that, like, um, the way it was translated was really interesting. They often, like, took the time to kind of explain certain aspects of, like, you'd suddenly have to pause it and be like, At what does top. that mean? And they'd kind of just be like, this is this in Japan. You might not understand. This is not I have a direct translation or that kind yeah. of, like. Very interesting. It was a really interesting time to be an anime fan, you know, and – it's obviously changed a lot now, of course, Crunchyroll and, and Funimation until, it's, I mean, it's still operating, but it's about to be amalgamated into Crunchyroll. Um, you know, Netflix now getting into the game. Like these, I mean, streaming services just weren't a thing, 
<laughs> you know, we're talking we're talking mid 2000s here, you know, like it was impossible. Uh, you saw the weird stuff on SBS and whatever, you know, Neon Genesis and Ghost in the Shell and stuff and the left of center, interesting stuff. But yeah, to get like Death Note or whatever, or even Naruto, you would have to go through people who knew. Because again, it wasn't easy to download on the internet back then. You couldn't, you weren't exactly streaming sites. Sometimes people would put them up on YouTube and it would get taken out. But would be like, part one, this, like, that's how I, yeah. I consume a lot of anime. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back even before YouTube was a thing or before the internet was a thing. Um, well, the internet was obviously a thing, but you would, it would take days to download anything that had a video yeah. content. Lime For one, one, one thing, when it first started, it wouldn't have even been across broadband. ADSL would have been across a copper wire. It's funny when I think about the – now we're so spoiled and it's amazing. We have got all these different streaming services. We get access to all these animes and we get them, like, you know, simulcast. And, like, mm, it's insane. Mm, it's it is there. You don't have to wait for months or, like yep. – um, Because by the time um, Cheese TV had Naruto, um, it was years after. Oh, yeah, like we years and it, yeah. years. We'd already, like, seen it. I was already up to shipping it. And I was like, what yeah, is yeah. this? I don't care. I, I don't um, even remember – Cheese TV having Naruto. I yeah, must it was have well yeah. past. Our it was past remember. like we. Yeah, well, yeah. I was in high school. Yeah, it was yeah. after. Yeah. Well, it was yeah, like when I was in high school. So yeah. I was kind of like, and I was so offended by it. Even though looking back, I'm like, it's a good thing it was licensed and people 100%. like. But I think the the latest thing that I see is a similarity between those old subtitles and the official ones is when people talk about manga scans and scanlations mm. and translations through mm-hmm. that and translator groups who do yeah. versus what the official translation is. A lot of fans get really attached to the, you know, illegal ones, which we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But you'd be like, they did such a good job. And then, they, you know, someone come through and translate and be like, they missed the point of this. Or like, it's because they're not like necessarily fans of what they're doing. Yeah. But of job, course, yeah. like it's a job that has to exist and it should exist it's because true, yeah. we shouldn't pirate things. It's good that we no. don't have to anymore. Yes. It is very good we've gone past it, but like it's an integral part of how the anime industry proliferated in a trans in a transnational setting right like it's the only way that it happened because otherwise it just wasn't really going to get out to the west and it wasn't you know it was only in dribs and drabs and it's interesting actually because there was actually an economic recession in japan which granted copyright to overseas publishers in asia and that began the transnational development of its cultural products so like when this was during the big recession in the 80s so before that it was very difficult to get Anything outside of Japan, real hard. I mean, Akira did a you know did a bit. That was a um, screen release. Yeah, screen release. America, a few very of them. slowly. Yeah. yeah, but like lots of shows. It was only because of the recession that they started to relax the copyright laws, which enabled them to start getting it out into the West. But like again, piracy was absolutely integral to making anime the global phenomenon that it is today these are the origins god i would be so interested now my dream guests are the guys who started um, madman in um in australia because they were the first ones to like you know license neon genesis and just because they got it like they used to just send out vhs's and dvds to people like it's like like, similar how netflix used to work like in that way but with anime they had they'd post it so it's like that's crazy they started there then they end up licensing it for sbs and that kind of just having the licenses for that product and like it, it's uh, it's just they're the and a madman of the reason that we had those huge dvd collections yeah. in jb hi-fi they were all licensed by madman yeah amazing so but that again like you're right when we started watching it that didn't quite exist yet yeah they were just just, starting. just starting to do that yeah yeah i mean because copyright infringement is a great loss to the japanese economy like there's i have come with the exact number but there's a huge number of dollars yen that they lose every year well especially back back then but it is the major aspect of Japan's globalization in respect to manga and anime. So it's like a really interesting history there. Was it controlled in any way, do you think, than piracy? It's obviously a marketing 
I think it was just connection, uh, but I don't know. I mean, like it was just rogue back then. It was pretty rogue. Hey, you know, like it was so rogue. super, super rogue. And it was just like, whoa, there's this cool thing. And you know, here it is. You know, again, the VCDs arrived on my lap because of Lachlan, who obviously was on this podcast in the JRPGs episode. Shout out. Um, we've talked about that many, many times, but like that, those VCDs, fair to say, did honestly change my life. And that's not being hyperbolic. You know what I mean? Like it really, it really did. It opened my eyes to this whole world, which at that point was pretty much only through very limited avenues that you could pursue it outside of, of piracy and, or people who, and you even had to know people who would give you or knew, you know, how to actually use the internet back then because it wasn't that simple. It wasn't like everyone had a smartphone. It was like the concept of a smartphone didn't even exist. You know, it was like- God, no. It was OG. I guess that no one really thought they could probably make money off yeah. like licensing certain things like anime that were, wasn't, you know, for children. As in like Pokemon yes, obviously course, was one that was like- M- Merch in, heavy and- And I yeah. feel like even um, when we had an interview with Veronica Taylor, who was a voice actor of Ash, mm. uh, shout out to you, Veronica Taylor, lovely, yes. lovely lady. You can watch that video on YouTube. She's- the nicest person I've ever met so and nice. obviously a huge part of our childhood and a huge yeah. part of us getting into anime. Mm-hmm. But you could tell from her interview when she was talking about like, I felt like they didn't really know when they first started voicing Pokemon or anything like that, that this was going to be what it was a hit mm-hmm. in the West, like the way it was. Well, it's, it's the most successful piece of human culture ever made <laughs> yeah. from, a, from a monetary perspective. It's, it's, and nothing else is even close. You know, it's like, just so many tie-ins, you know, you've got video games, you've got cards, you've got like the, yeah, the, the yeah. anime, it's you've got- It's insane how, can, how big that can is. Can we sort of define what the difference between what you guys think is the culture of Japan and what, what their connection to anime is as a fandom base and what it is in, in, in Western this is society? A, this is a very interesting, very, very interesting point. So what's fascinating, I think, as an anime fan, right, a Western anime fan, which obviously we are- um, so anime fandoms in the West, we are we are a subculture. It's still it's still it's getting bigger. It's the biggest it's ever been, but it's still a subculture. It's not mass culture. It's not. It's, it's a fact. You know what I mean? Mass culture means Marvel is currently mass culture, which used to be nerd culture as well. You know, like of course, yeah. fascinating to see how that's proliferated and, and changed. They've got their own subcultures, even of course. just around X Men and of Avengers. And but we, I feel a- like the comic book is still subculture of yeah. Marvel. So uh, it's like yeah, actually, what we're talking about is cinema. Cinema. And mainstream cinema. That is a, yes. Like, sure. main, like properly mainstream. Yes, as that's in like, mass, that's, that's the movie culture. that comes out that everyone can go see. It's not like. Yeah. 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 Cinema. Cinema and, and live action film and TV are the mass cultural. And sports. And sports, of course. Absolutely. And these are the mass cultural dominating, dominating uh, cultural texts, if you will, uh, in Western society, right? But what's interesting is that Japan is the only nation on earth where comics, or more specifically manga, is the dominant form of cultural entertainment and it's a mass cultural See, event and it's a quad it's like all all age groups isn't all it? age groups but i find it interesting though because i always kind of and this is honestly like in a twisting twist of irony here i learned this from mostly anime mm. but i feel like being an otaku which is like in anime yes, is a yes. derogatory term towards someone who is a fan of anime manga that uh, kind of thing. Yeah, a person who has a hobby-related interest that might be regarded as obsessive, particularly in the fields of anime and manga. That's the official yeah. Merriam-Webster diction- uh, dictionary definition. I, and I feel like there still is, like, I don't think that everyone in Japan is, is it, like it is very much more mainstream there, but I still feel like being an otaku or being a super fan of that kind of thing is definitely something that is a niche there. Sure. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that, that's all I mean because it's the same way I would see an AFL fanatic sure. is culturally acceptable here in Australia mm. because mm. it's normalised. So it'd be similar to like, yeah, I guess like if it's Marvel um, we we're talking about here, like someone could go and be a casual Marvel person and know that they could watch superhero film fine, but they're not like 
obsessed with Captain America and have all the collection, that kind of, so it's sort yeah, of like, it's, it's mainstream. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I do find that interesting because you've said that a couple of times and I was like, I don't think everyone who is, I don't think the whole of Japan is into anime man- manga. No, but it is the dominant cultural form of entertainment in that country. Interesting. Uh, and also because Japanese film, as in live action film, was at its peak in the 1950s. And of course you've got Akira Kurosawa, you've got Tokyo Story, uh, Ito, I think that director's name is, I can't remember, but you had... Japan being an absolute global powerhouse in the 50s, alongside Hollywood in many ways. Uh, but since then, it has declined heavily. And in the 80s, anime, well, manga and anime really, really, well, in the 60s, once Osama Tezuka did Astro Boy in 1962, maybe three, uh, that changed everything. That changed yeah, absolutely the everything. the style changed. And, and that begun a serialized anime television. And of course- or most of them are always based off a of manga. And it's not uncommon in Japan just to be on a train and seeing like a 60-year-old businessman reading manga or a- Yeah. Or a, or a 12-year-old. 12-year-old reading. Yeah. reading. But it's because it's just so broad, right? But you're right. The otaku thing essentially just means obsessive, you know? And uh, but also the term fanatic, which is where fan comes from, obviously, uh, means excessive and mistaken enthusiasm and was originally attributed to religious people, fanatics, of course. So everything's a scale, I think. You know what I mean? But what is really like interesting- obsessive uh, passion. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Than, mistaken enthusiasm. Or as opposed to harmonious passion. Yeah, 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 100%. And I think it's really interesting as, as anime fans in the West, it is a very, very, very gate-kept community in many ways. Not always, not always, of course. Um, it definitely was. Though. Definitely was. It's, it's definitely better. that's to do with the mainstream accessibility. It sort of became a little less exclusive for anime fans to like anime. It's like if you were an mm-hmm. anime fan, you really had to dig deep into the corners of the oh, internet yeah. and find it. And then you were like, you know, it's a bit of a special club. Like, do you know about this anime? Like, Yeah, yeah and, and that's, like, as an anime fan, you didn't have what you have now with Crunchyroll seminars oh, yeah. and, oh. and all these conventions and things to go and celebrate your favourite characters I mean, there, and shows. There were conventions, but they were definitely way like now conventions are like huge events run with big celebrity guests and i feel like even ax which is anime expo which is the biggest one in the world Mm -hmm. uh only recently just started having like huge huge international guests so we Mm -hmm. we would like most of them were fan run very much local community based that kind of thing and now they've just exploded that's another example of how fandom has changed as well it's just become a bit more corporate well absolutely it's a business money making venture now 100 but the internet's also afforded fans to become much more powerful agents like possessing subjectivity objectivity and the capability to actually wield considerable power over how modern pop culture is produced. But what's interesting is that as Western anime fans, we don't have that power because we are still consuming this as a subculture outside of a dominant culture within Japan where the whole industry is run and basically like, of course, the numbers matter economically. But really, if we hate something as anime fans and let me tell you, a lot of fan bases do hate a lot of things and they make a lot of noise about it on Twitter and Reddit and, and Mal and all sorts of things. No one in Japan gives a fuck. You know, and it's, but it's a really interesting thing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's fascinating because like never before have fans had so much power to organize and to actually affect change. Like, you know, you can tank a Rotten Tomato rating or an IMDb rating or you can, like, well, get things done. I mean, let's just- talk about that because, I mean, that's exactly what Bezos did with Ring of Power and the owning of IMDb yeah. was able to remove, like, corporately, yeah. like, from high up, remove any bad reviews or any, Crazy. any way our show would be destroyed. Yeah. And it still was because yeah, it wasn't good. Bad, but yeah. it's but it's fascinating. But IMDb should be objectively egalitarian. Yeah. yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, meritocratic. I think the thing with um, 
the anime industry though is it just like I'm sure that the fandom in Japan has some power over it. You know, there's something they that do. That's, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So it's like over here, Bezos is like an evil overlord. So that's, um, <laughs> yeah. that's interesting. But um, it is interesting. I kind of love that. If we can be like, I hate this. And it's like, okay, well, then don't watch it. It's not, it wasn't created yeah. for you guys. You can't fix like, it. <laughs> and you're like, okay, great. What's happened is that we then got um, people who take the elements of anime they do love and then they've, you know, like things like Avatar, The Last Airbender. 100%. That kind of thing where it's like just inspired a whole bunch of animation. But you're right, as anime watchers and fans of what's getting produced out in Japan and being released here, it doesn't matter because we're not the main, like, target audience and we're not – we're giving some – obviously some money this, is coming in. Of course, in, money, money. But Economics it's, but it's matter, not but like – it's still not. But the sheer volume of content that's coming out, you wouldn't – you can't consume it all. No, like no. that was one of the biggest things I noticed when I first started um, getting introduced to anime was wow, where, where, where's the where's the line, where's the end? So <laughs> to have any kind yeah. of control, you're on the horizon. I had, asked, I had someone ask me, they were like, "Are you not just going to run out of things to talk about?" And I went, "I haven't even scratched the surface." Oh man, we got we haven't there even airing, There's like you know like thirty plus airing shows right now, new shows that come out that, per yeah. per season as we talk about. You're kind of like. There's just so much, and it's uh, it's I think I, out of anything like. And I've started focusing in on just what I like, which is yeah. sports animes. I'm smashing out Blue Lock finally, and yes, I've dude. just gone looking for a baseball um, anime on my own that I've started called One One Shot, which is fantastic. It's right. such a great premise, and that was from a list of like fifty. I had to oh go yeah, through oh, the diamond. Which one? Do I, yeah, like you're taking ownership over your own. And subjectivity and agency over yourself as a fan. You know yeah. what I mean? So you can now pick and choose what you want. Whereas before it was like, well, there's like five. Ownership is such a big part of being a fan though, isn't it? Yeah. Massive. Ownership is everything. And also a lot of these, what's happened now with fandoms everywhere because of the proliferation of the internet is fans have become institutionalized within social media settings or, or message board settings, whether it be Reddit, Twitter, whatever it happens to be, or, or private message boards, which they set up. There's an institutionalized fan base where a lot of the social capital is run through the perception of taste. And do you have good taste? And yeah. what, it's obviously a very subjective term, but this is how these fandoms are regulated in these online contexts. You know, it's about what taste, is your taste good enough? Yeah. Uh, and who are the people who set, who are the tastemakers? You know what I mean? And who also, who are they? I mean, you know, so who, who made you the fucking king? You know, like, who are the dreamers of dreams? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's really, really fascinating stuff. And like, the reason we started this show is because, like, and we've, I've softened as well. I used to be a little bit more insufferable. Like, if you go back to season one, when Charlie and I had the debate about subs versus dubs, and, you know, I still, my personal opinion is that subs are a better experience. I still believe that. And I will always encourage people to watch subs if they can. But, if you talk to me, even five years ago, 10 years ago, even worse, but like five years ago, I'd be like, no, nah, you have to watch subs. No, nah, dubs are a waste of time. No, nah, you're not experiencing, no, nah, you might as well not watch it. Idiot. You know what I mean? Like, but I've softened because I'm old and, and sad. But like, you know, it's like, it's no, just- just realizes a bit more like your own matter. opinion is not it's also everyone's context. opinion. It's contextual. Absolutely. Like, if, if you don't know the subs from the dubs, then how are you going? Why would you ever- Care, decide, yeah. Why would you care? Yeah. You, and as I said, why would you even go look for it? I find yeah. it quite difficult to you know, actually read subtitles and enjoy something. Some or people are dyslexic. Like, like you, you wouldn't want to watch subtitles. It doesn't matter. Like, and, again, and the dubs have gotten a lot better. That's one thing to say. Improved. Like there's a lot of care, a lot of like big, like people have really put in a lot of effort to that because of, yeah. I think yeah. I might have mentioned during that episode, but One Punch Man was a dub that I really enjoyed. And, a, and I actually was back and forth a little bit on it to get through it as mm. well because it was in the background. I wasn't focused on the television. I needed to – I couldn't just listen to the, the Japanese, of course. Of course. I so no I jumped into the dub and 
would get through the actual story, would you join a dumb a dub fandom like uh, page or group now? Though, like, no. are you that against it still? It's not, 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 not that I'm that against it at all. I think I even said in the podcast back, even back then, that if it means the difference between you watching an anime and not, then watch the dub. But like, I personally wouldn't do that because my interest lies in the subs and the subtitles, you know, and that's what I like to watch. Um, I've so got some dubs I prefer over subs. They're, they're totally hundred percent. I, I prefer for my Lacrimus Brotherhood dub. It's a really good dub, right? So last um, time I watched it, it was the dub. I genuinely tend to. To watch subs. That's how I've always watched anime. It's yeah. really, it's a personal preference and you can do Absolutely. whatever you want. I think that's the thing. Like, I also think that it's funny you're saying you soften, but I actually do think that even those like gatekept fandoms, that kind of thing have, I think that the new way of thinking is sort of like, just do what you enjoy and don't judge yeah. people. Yeah. I think that's like the new generation's way of looking well, at what, stuff. Why we set this podcast up, right? So, and that's like- what I was wondering. Would you still be pushing subs onto people with the risk of losing an audience member or a fan of nah. anime. No, no, no. I wouldn't push it. I'd just be like, look, I suggest you watch it with prefer, the subs. Yeah. But if you if, if that's not for you, watch it with the dub. And if that's not for you, then it's not for you. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like it's that's not your for everybody. Taste, but you're not pushing it. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely my my preference. And yeah, my taste lies there. But like I don't care. If someone's like, no, I think the dub's better, I'm like, great. Sam and I have actually both done quite a bit of study on the nature of fandom and fandom in from an academic perspective, which is actually a very interesting line of study. Fascinating. Uh, was it Henry Jenkins? Henry, Henry Jenkins. Jenkins. Yes. Uh, who is the, the number one probably academic who who talks about fandom still, who is like the one that is kind of often cited, still writing, right? Still, yeah, 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 92 is his major work. Yeah, but I think um, it's funny. We both opted to do that at university because we both have like felt that we've been involved in fandoms or be gaming, uh, Western anime fandom, because that's obviously a reality of how we lived and how much that has changed. And also I think it's very interesting to see Marvel superhero, like game Dungeons and Dragons, all that kind of yeah. stuff is now mainstream, now cool again. Mm. Like, you know, I think strange things made it cool. Uh, yeah. I think that it's funny to see how it's all changed and like, what different fandoms have meant different things and some that have been like typically quite, quite um, toxic. Like I, I can say this, uh, obviously, the gaming fandom, it's definitely a lot better now. Still bad. But there's a lot of misogynist uh, stuff that's sort of there. Obviously, we've got Gamergate, which is one of the most horrific, like, you know, uh, examples which we could talk about a bit later. But I think um, with the internet, with things like TikTok and people just kind of welcoming people into fandoms, it's kind of nice. It's My yeah. favourite thing is fan fiction. It's such an interesting one. Funny you say that because mm. – there's a couple of things here. First of all, I just want to also just talk about the word culture, which is one of the most complicated words in any language. So, I mean, culture is obviously exceedingly complicated, a nuanced term, which comes with numerous meanings. So I've got a quote here. Uh, culture can be used to refer to the works and practices of intellectual and especially creative activity. And that's uh, by Williams. But the thing is, sense of ownership over material is always prevalent among almost all fandoms, right? It's a sense of ownership. And fan fiction one of the major like love letters to fandom, but also requires a sense of ownership. You take the product and actually it's, I don't know if it's, if it's actually um, Jenkins or not, but I think he definitely references it, whether it's his idea or he's referencing someone else. I don't remember, but the idea of a lot of fans are what he, he or whoever he references are cultural poachers. We poach things from creators, right? And um, we take them and then we make them our own in many ways. And then, of course, that makes- Textual poaching. Textual poaching. Yeah. And it's an academic term. Fan yeah. fiction is very interesting because a lot of authors hate it, you know, because they yeah. think that's their work being so on, but a lot of authors love it because they're like, that they consider it like the ultimate kind of. And a lot of fiction writers who are now successful have admitted to getting their start with writing fan fiction because they ha- already have- 
mm. already have like yeah. a world set up for them. So Harry Potter fan fiction is probably the biggest fan fiction. It's right up there. Uh, and J.K. Rowling, despite being, you know, a turf and a really not someone that I like to support ever, has always been supportive of fan fiction. Mm. A lot of Harry Potter fanfic writers have bec- gone on to be massive Massive like fantasy writers later. What's that one you read? Like the interesting. Oh no, one of the oh. So I like full disclosure. Still read Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> got back into it several years later in high school. I used to love reading it, you know. And I think I got onto one, but I'm very picky about. It. You, you only read the good stuff, you know. And there's a lot of like, like just believe you ever go onto fan fiction websites. Make sure you um, are very clear about what you're looking for because a lot of awful, awful things are on there that you probably don't want to read. So there's like a thing out like the one I use is there's like a way to exclude certain tags and things like that, so you can actually like. Make sure you're not ever going to get that content, which is like yeah, what is yeah. I think most famously associated with fanfic is like weird porny stuff that yeah. everyone's like what and like it can be entertaining in that way, but like some of the writing on there is actually beautiful. There's a great one called All the Young Dudes, which might be one of the best books I've ever read, which is a Harry Potter fanfic, <laughs> and everyone I've given it to has been like rolling their eyes, and then they've all been like I sobbed. It was beautiful. <laughs> Whoever wrote it, Miss King Bing eighty nine, that's her username. Is a is a like a genius a author. Giant. I really hope that they have gone on to this stuff because they're always anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, there have been examples of people openly saying, "Yeah, I started out doing supernatural fanfic um. or this kind of thing." And I think that the thing is, you get a world build, and then you people can kind of like learn to flex their writing within that. So they've got like an inbuilt like structure, mm. and you don't make any money off it. But no. people have actually taken off their stories, and then they've released them with like different characters like they've kind of like you know 50 shades of gray the most famous example of a fan fiction twilight twilight fan fiction that they then took off and just changed the names and you know off we go and uh yeah so i mean not that it's a good fanfic but it's an example of someone who blew up made a lot of money doing that fan fiction is one of those things that is obviously like widely ridiculed i think to people who don't understand what fan fiction is but i think it is super important and one of the most interesting creative aspects of fandom it's creative and original even though it's you know taking someone else's work you don't no one's making any money out of this fan fiction is an interesting one i think that there's many studies done on it and it's like no one really quite knows what what it is like what what it is about it but it has such a hold on people enough that they will like sit down and write full novel length for free like things on the internet when they have full-time jobs and people i think someone was being like are we all written by 11 year olds i was like no i think particularly with the harry potter fan fiction started when we were all teenagers Mm. and now people who still write this stuff for fun are like adults with kids like you'll see in their Mm. author notes like sorry like had to like uh, it's school holidays so me and my kids have got like you know they're actually adults and that's Mm. like and as, as much people are like problematic, I'm like, there's not, there's a lot of um, fanfic out there that is not problematic, but there's a lot yeah. that is deeply. So please be cautious when you search these websites because I, I would never be supportive of that kind of stuff. I find being a fan of something is somewhat empowering. And there's this yeah. really great musical, actually, Australian musical called Fangirls. I've never been one that's like a big fan of boy bands. Mm-hmm. I never was like a part of the um, the Five One Direction mm-hmm. fandom, whereas this musical is very Actually much boys. about people who were dedicated One Direction right. fangirls and the power of like being a fan and having this community online and that that musical is actually so good and it's great from a fan kind of like academic perspective because it's talking about online spaces and existing there and finding like community in like bonding over this one thing and like I, I find it interesting. But yeah, for, uh, big pop stars, that kind of thing's never really been my thing, but I think it, it can translate to like many different fandoms that you have, sport, uh, like this. Oh, heaps. no question. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating that because – Hysteric fandoms have been around for a very, very long time. You know what I mean? It's like, but even go, you know the song by Phoenix, Listomania? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's actually about a, a German or Austrian composer back in the 1600s, Liszt, yeah. someone, Hansel Liszt or something, who literally caused mania 
from the fans, fan, like you know, in like you know, like of classical music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was yeah. like the equivalent of back then, right? and fainting and all that stuff. But of course, as you mentioned, Beatlemania, like the real modern, like stereotype fan of what we know is young females. Young females, and this goes back to Elvis. And this goes back to the Beatles. Yes. And it's interesting because you've got two real big tropes that I think are explored in media often in respect to fandom. One is the feminized version, which is the hysterical, fainting, uh, you know, uh, groupie, essentially, which is hypersexualized often in media and, and in, in perception. Then you've got the fan in the attic trope, which is the masculinized, the masculine version. And they typically want to, you know, destroy what they can't have. And they become obsessed. And that's the the Star Trek nerd, uh, the the Hikikimori in Japanese culture. The like um, stalker fan. The stalker, you know, if you put talking yeah. perfect blue, Satoshi Kon, like the troll fan. I, the troll fan and the the the, the nasty danger. Yes. I wanna add, I don't think I reckon, and I find this interesting, I think fangirls actually explores this. I think that the young teenage girl hysteria mm-hmm. fan, um, mainstream fandom, is actually the masculine version is a sport fan. Yep. And I think yep. that it's yep. funny because That's people fair. wouldn't think twice if a man, a young guy, cried with his sporting team lost, yep. yet they will take the piss relentlessly out of teenage girls for crying because their favourite actors right in front of them singing yeah, to them. Yeah, like, and I think it's funny how they kind of weaponize it against teenage girls. It's like, why is everyone so afraid of teenage girls being fanatic about something? It's fascinating. It's interesting. There's like a lot of arguments. Yeah, a lot of literature, lot of literature on yeah. that one. And I think that it's like comparing the sport fan versus the- Well, yeah. the, it's also, I mean, music, anime, TV shows, movies, books, that cultural side of it versus sports fans, it's such a different- world i'm not trying to put all of those books and everything in mm. one in one as well but the sports fan is is emotionally connected to like something that's physical and and, and played as a game and played in has results and played live and has results I, i'm just interested in and why they ridicule why do they feel the need to ridicule Somebody who has the same reaction yeah, to a musician way. emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to I, a musician. Yeah. I also think it's interesting because obviously we're talking about literal dangerous fandoms. Uh, how many mm. people are killed in sports rights? Like it's mm. actually the genuinely most. like that is a real thing that yeah. is kind of a soccer hooliganism. And, like it's you know. really it's an interesting way that people really love to ridicule the, the it's, teenage. When the Bulls won their second uh, final series in '92, I think it was '93, '92. The second series, it was like it's a ridiculous amount, like fifty million dollars damage to Chicago for winning. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just like for winning. No, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Back to your point about the nerd in the attic. Is that what it is? Yeah, the, the fan in the attic trope. Yeah, yeah, that's like another whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is, it is, and like, and if we're going to talk Henry Jenkins, like there was a Saturday Night Live bit with William Shatner where they set up as a whole thing, and basically like it was a, a faux convention setting where basically he ended up losing his shit at all the fans being like, get lives, God damn it. You know, like that was like the whole punchline of the whole thing. Right. Um, and it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, th- there's no question that these, these elements of fandoms exist, you know, like there's like, you know, the, in the Simpsons, like the itchy and oh, scratchy yeah. fan is like, do you really some kind of magic xylophone, you know, like all of this stuff. So like, she can fly. Zeta yeah. can fly. What was it like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, these are fascinating things and, and you see this in the anime community a lot. You know what I mean? Like you see, and especially like, People just getting really caught up over things which ultimately don't matter. But they do matter to people, you know? And I think, yeah, okay, there's, there's toxicity and there's people who take things far too seriously and it's a problem. But, like, it's it's difficult to, to navigate, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, it's searching for that that obsessive 
all that harmonious passion yeah, 100%. or something, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can still exercise a, a level of passion without it affecting you or being toxic. I think that sometimes we're obsessive. Yeah. Passion for something might come in and create a negative connection. 100%. Yeah. And there's obviously a dangerous obsession. But oh, it yeah. Clearly I mean, is. So saying like, it incredibly that is, in, you know, in Perfect Blue. These things happen. You know, there's what was the guy, uh, the guy was obsessed with Jodie Foster who tried to kill Reagan. Yeah. Um, you know, like yeah, yeah, right. These things can get super crazy and toxic, and you know that is the fan in the attic. But that trope. wouldn't represent a whole fandom. No, no, like someone with a serious mental fandom. illness. Like, you know what I mean? Like the GamerGate kind of thing doesn't like, represent yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole Misery. of gaming. Yeah, Misery is another one. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. represent the whole of gaming, and I feel like the fan always gets villainized. And yeah, but yet I feel like everyone's a fan of something. They are. So it's like and it, the it's, product doesn't exist without the fan. Absolutely, which is another- exactly right. The academic writing on fandom is fascinating. Well, there's, here's a there's a guy called. Um, Yaus, who has a theory called expectation theory. And to piggyback off what you just said, Brett, like the historical life of a literary work is unthinkable without the active participation of its audience. And that's Yaus. But he also says that uh, the analysis of the literary experience of the reader avoids the threatening pitfalls of psychology if it describes the response and the impact of a work within the definable frame of reference of the reader's expectation. So it's like these are, no matter what happens, you are bringing your own historical and aesthetic history to everything that you consume. And that is your own expectation. And if that's not met, people can get very upset. And this is where you start to see fandoms get very negative, very toxic, uh, when expectation doesn't- Physically violent. Physically violent, absolutely. Like, in a mob you know, mentality. 100%. And you see these pylons happen. Like, in fact, right at the moment, at the time of this recording, Stampede has just come out, which is a remake of Trigun. The fandom is split down the middle because it's CGI. Studio Orange used a lot of CGI. And it's very different to the original aesthetic, that real classic 90s like aesthetic that Trigun is so well known for. The storytelling is completely different. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people who are very upset about this. And there are a lot of people defending it. Like I've, you know, I spent this morning reading through a couple of Reddit threads where people are just at war with each other. Yeah. Um, so but it's you don't want to rehab. I feel like, you know, change and things like that, like inevitably everything that you like will adapt in some way. You can't stay the same forever. No. That, that stuff always, like Trigun will still always be there for you to watch. You can read the manga. I mean, like, is this a story yeah. world or, a, or a, an important story to tell? Because some stories are meant to be retold and told over again or mm-hmm. some worlds mm-hmm. give us something that, that we need to, with a new lens, connect our current selves to. Mm. I take things like uh, Hearts of Darkness yep. and Apocalypse yeah, 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 Now. Apocalypse, Very Kong different, ideas. but essentially that, story was important that descent down the river and understanding that madness or even something as simple as pocahontas dances with wolves avatar Avatar, it's the same story but it's a necessary story and colonialism metaphor and everything yeah it's i mean every story like there's only about like seven original stories something like that that's right it's a narrative Yes, I think yeah. it was but uh, this, yeah, with um, Trigon, I think the reason it got remade is that people have been crying for a full adaptation of the manga. Um, and I think that people thought this was going to be that, but it isn't. They've kind of taken no. a different. But I mean, I, I admire anyone willing to take a risk. Look, I agree. Really, I do. Because I think that that's when sometimes you end up with the best things. Like, yes, it could crash and burn. Yeah. Um, the yes, Final you- Fantasy VII remake as well, have you know, similar totally. response. And if you know, you're going to remake, you know, I think the, the 90s Trigon animation still holds up so like it's kind of like why Why if you don't just redo it unless i guess you could do a whole adaptation of the manga but like don't just do exactly the same it's like why are you just doing exactly yeah it it makes no sense so 
It's interesting, but also like- I haven't watched it yet though, so I might watch it and be like- I I watch it. <laughs> You're I one of those Reddit people. Reddit like, <laughs> Otherwise, it's just George Lucas adding in a couple of extra scenes and, and using it new technology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here's, here's another quote from, from Jenkins here. So this is an interesting thing, I think. Like He wrote this in 92, so I think the internet has changed this a little bit. But like other popular readers, fans lack direct access to the means of commercial cultural production and only the most limited resources with which to influence the entertainment industry's decisions. So I think that's changed a lot. But at the same time, this is very apt for Western anime fans because we cannot change a thing that they do in Japan. Like we can yell and scream. You can yell and scream about Stampede and Trigun and be real upset about it. And there's nothing... Criticism isn't toxic. You know, you're allowed to criticize things or not like them. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing as well. People are, I yeah. think, this day and age, like critics are getting, like, people are like, cancel the critic for not liking this thing. And you're like, that's, that's it's crazy. an interesting part of our society is that we have critics. You and must that's critique. Like, yeah. yeah, and that's fine. But, like, I, I do think that you being like, if you like this, you're wrong or like, well, or getting like this angry. This is where it's it like, turns yeah, nasty. And, and because their expectations are the protection Some of. Yeah, of, of it's these ownership. communities. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's ownership. Yeah. Is this this expectation not being met, which is just nothing but your own historical aesthetic context brought to the specialist table, you know? analysts, in, like in like critics, are, are necessary for us to understand yeah. it on a level that we may not be intelligent enough to understand it because the people creating these shows are intelligent people. Of it takes a lot to get any kind of story up. Yeah, so there's a respect there that I think should be given, and I think even if somebody dislike something critically. The fans who are already fans, who are already owners owners of that product, need to allow that objectivity to understand it a bit deeper potentially. Yeah. This is actually a really interesting guy called J. Harris Miller, who's and the the uh, text is called uh, The Critic as Host. And basically just use some out the word citation here. He's using it in reference to literary, but you can use it for any cultural entity. Um, is a citation an alien parasite within the body of a main text, or is the interpretive text the parasite which surrounds and strangles the citation, which is its host? The host feeds the parasite and makes makes its life possible, but at the same time is killed by it, as criticism is said to kill literature. Is this Animorphs? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's Stargate. It's it is like, like Stargate. It's Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. It's the gold. Uh, I agree. It's a fascinating thing though to consider, you know, it's like when you've got the host and the parasite, right? And like you can you can think of it as the cultural text, whether it be a anime, a manga, a television show, a movie, whatever, and the fan is a parasite or the critic is a parasite, but sometimes parasites and hosts are symbiotic and can't live without the other, right? In the same way that a cultural text needs fans to make it proliferate and become popular and therefore economically viable. So it's a fascinating concept. And where hopefully critically acclaimed. acclaimed. Yeah. Idea of like, you know, the critic being a parasite or the the fan being a parasite and the host being the cultural product itself is a fascinating way to to think about fandoms in general. And like just because parasite obviously is a very, very pejorative term, but it doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? Like you can have a healthy parasitic relationship. Yeah, so I just think this this concept of of parasite and host is interesting because even Miller says, there are innumerable cases in the proliferation of life forms where the presence of a parasite is absolutely necessary to the health of its host. It's a really fascinating concept to, to consider when in respect to fandoms and cultural products. Definitely. I think a huge reason that fandom in Western anime has changed a lot, and I think in heaps of different fucking things, like you know, including gaming, everything like that, mm-hmm. is um because the internet 
when it first kind of came around, it felt like everyone's personal journal. It was like the Wild West. <laughs> so like people now yes, are being yes. ha- held accountable for bad or like toxic communities, that kind of thing, yeah. those views yeah, yeah, yeah. people are, it's like actually it's like reflecting on, you know, and it's like, and, and it should be like, it, it's yes. good. This yeah. is all good. Yeah, yeah. But I think it means that things like anime conventions where behavior was really out of control for a while there, a lot yeah. of really bad things were happening at anime yeah. conventions that weren't well policed. Like what? Uh, well, there was like a couple of awful instances. I don't want to get sued for defamation by this person, but there was like a, a couple of voice actors who were like, you know, or like a couple of uh, famous actors who were at other, like the Expanse guy, like that kind of thing who, just took advantage of their power with fans and, like, you know, there's suddenly these actors who are, like, obscure voice actors who no one knows go to these conventions they're treated like absolute rock stars. And I think that it wasn't that people didn't kind of police that or make it professional enough so it came really weird very quickly. A bit rogue, like there wasn't enough kind of, like, actual things set in sand and safety nets and a lot of these fans are really young and impressionable and I think that that's never safe and that's not good. And I think that things like anime conventions, when I was a lot younger, I noticed a lot more kind of, like, People just taking pictures of you or just coming up and hugging you or like kind of like mm. you realise that suddenly you're like 15 years old wearing a sexy cosplay and there's like a 45-year-old photographer taking a picture of you and yeah, at the time you're like, man. look at my costume. So I think nowadays it's uh, what I've read. I haven't been to convention properly other than event coverage. Like coverage yeah. uh, but I div- have noticed is that like there's a lot of rules. Like if you want to take a picture of someone, you go up and ask them yes. and you get permission and then you have a chat and then like if you want it, like there's a lot more stuff that really should have just been happening that just wasn't at the start because it was like yeah. people are now being held accountable and things have changed for the better in that way. So mm. I really hope the convention community is a lot safer for a lot of younger people I mean, or anyone in, at any age. Yes. Um, but I think it's because accountability is something that now does exist on the internet and people yes. can call people out and, you know, it's a, whatever your opinion of that is. I think that they've, there's certain rules that have come in that have been good because of that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah like anything that's good and there's bad. So, Brady, from your perspective, like you've you've come into this, you know, what, nearly – Nearly three years ago, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, wow. What was your perception of the fandom of anime been? I mean, you don't spend that much time in forums and whatnot, obviously. I, but I don't. I, I do when I do research. Yeah. And I and even especially in this one, mm. uh, just to get across the psychology of fandom and, yeah. and and understand where where it comes from from a human, where it comes mm. from. It was interesting because I have definite emotional connections to my football team and the Australian cricket team and 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 some some shows but not in the same way that other people mm. have that connection do you both do fantasy league that kind of thing yeah, yeah. afl we do yeah that. so is that not just fan them. fiction i kind of i find it funny everyone's like lo, 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 like that but i'm like it's the same thing i feel like fan um that sports is like it's like a narrative i mean that's why people love, that's why people love wrestling as well right because that is a literal soap opera yeah uh sort of like combining both it's sort of like the truth of both you know it's got real wrestling yeah. I think I have been aware of and protected by the both of you through my journey into this world though, to be aware of some of the things that I might come up against that I wasn't initially aware of, you know, when we started and when I started watching anime. From my perspective, I I, I guess I think there is a real passion in the West and in, in our society for this new content. I think in some ways, and don't don't get me wrong here, everybody. In some ways, we are just so sick of Western tropes, narratives, structures. That anime offers something different or something unique, a different take on a genre or yeah, well, storytelling. Uh, in storytelling, and the scale can obviously be 
larger. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and same with like, but even with things like Netflix having a lot of like international productions of like you like people who I know exclusively watch like, um, you know, like Scando Noir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, kind of thing True. or like things that are like kind of uh, a or version of storytelling from somewhere K-dramas. else. Yeah, K-dramas, that kind of thing where it's just like, it's a bit, you're right, it's a bit different from what we kind of are used to as our mainstream storytelling structures. And that's why it's, it's, it's like so cool that the internet exists. And there's in, like, I love that. It's great. And I've probably become more of a fan in the last couple of months where I haven't, well, more than that, six months or so, because I haven't been, uh, I didn't have a, like, a directive to go away yeah, and I mean, go and watch this series, which I could never finish. Mm. And I would get like 10 episodes in and then I'll be on to the next one. Now I'm finally finding my own feet. The leisure, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sports anime. Who would have thought, Brett? Who would have thought <laughs> that that'd be your niche? There's Crazy. Still some classics out there I need to catch up on, but. Of course. Season four, yeah. Haikyuu. Final movies are coming out this year, people. Movies, uh, yeah. If you want to give us some tickets to that, you'll get the most hysterical coverage you could imagine. But um, just, <laughs> just crying, <laughs> me hysterically weeping. I will be. I'm not joking. Fangirl but, vibes. Fan, literal fangirl. That's vibes. your Harry Styles. Is, <laughs> is like you. My Paul McCartney. No, it's interesting you said about the different style and what anime brings. Because so someone called um, Susan J Napier, who is Australian actually, and, and a doctor of anime, and um, well, doctor of an academic in respect to Japanese culture and, and anime. Fascinating person. But she mentioned in one of her texts, uh, the creator of Ghost in the Shell, uh, Mamoru, basically has described anime as being another world, a completely new world. And because it is b- created from scratch, essentially, you know, drawing, you can, you can do anything. And it is a real separation from the reality of present-day Japan, which is incredibly regimented. Anime is one of the purely... Free, freely expressionistic mediums. And so in discussion between critic Ueno Toshia and animators Oishi Mamura and Ito Kazurio, they spoke about Japan's very problematic cultural identity at the start of the 21st century. So Toshia believes anime to be a product of techno-orientalism and othering of Japan by the West that sees it only as a technological dystopia or occasionally a, nat- a natural utopia. So... Anime in that respect is a dark mirror that reflects Japan to the West and vice versa, which is quite an interesting take on the whole matter. Definitely an influence there, like, like that of, of American um, massively, yeah, culture, massively, especially World War Two, the occupation, yeah, uh, you know, all of the Osama Tezuka being heavily influenced by Disney and vice versa. Yeah, these are really fascinating things to consider, and when looking back, you know, there's no question that othering happens. You know, and that's why the concept of a mukokoseke, which is which means stateless. So a lot of anime is drawn not looking the characters not looking specifically Japanese. You know, like or ca- anything. Or really. anything really. Yeah. Like kind of not like oh it's an American, you know what I mean? Like it's just like they're stateless in their existence and it's kind of they could be anywhere. Cowboy Bebop's a good example. Um uh, Fullmetal Alchemist, you know, anything, uh, attack on Titan. These are things which aren't super specifically Japanese, but are also distinctly Japanese all at the same time. So that's a fascinating thing to be a fan of because no matter how much of a fan we become of this medium, we aren't Japanese sure. and we never will be. You know what I mean? Like It's like no matter how obsessed you get with this, there's still a level we can't go to, which is fascinating, you know? Yeah, I think that I think we talked about this before. I think animation in general, series, that kind of thing, video games, that kind of thing, always has that kind of um, could be could be anywhere. Could be like it's kind of a. I think that that's also just in terms of storytelling. Yes, like, yes. it doesn't necessarily have to be like it's because it's fantasy, really. 
Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, of course, like, there could be an academic argument made for that, but I do wonder if it's to do with the actual medium having so much freedom and it's so huge. Like, because you've got anime that is very Japanese. Very. Any slice of life, any work, like, you know, like anything very I watch, it's like the most Japanese. Like, you're like, this is set in Tokyo. We are in Tokyo right now, but we're talking about fantasy series. You're very rarely having fantasy series set in like America, even if you've got an American mm. one. Like, so I do think that that's mess, maybe mm. a genre thing over an anime thing. That's yeah. my two cents on oh, that. Do they, um, just before we move on, but like two points to that. I mean, is that a sense of government control having anime like one of the only outlets or approved outlets for their society? I believe it was actually due to a lot of censorship imposed by the Americans during the occupation post World War Two. Right. So, so it's there their are, outlet. There were, that manga. was one of the few things they could actually yeah. write without uh, being censorship. Um, censored. Correct. Sure. I would find it very interesting to see if there is any kind of responsibility for us as fans by the general anime creators. Like, do they? I mean, obviously, the numbers probably aren't there the same as they are within uh, their borders, but is there any responsibility to us as fans who are taking this, our own interpretations of these, of these shows? They don't care what we think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like they just don't give a fuck. I, like, I don't even care what we and, think. And, yeah, and, like, and, and that's fair enough. I think that's one thing I really like about it. It's like I'm not – there's no expectation there. It's no, just well, it's yeah. just a – it's complete saturation of enjoyment. Yeah. And or, just, or sometimes it's a bit boring and I go to something else. Yeah, also, just so much. there aren't tropes. Yeah. You know, this anime has tropes. Anime is tropey. It's just tropes all over we the place. Lo- we love know. the tropes. Yeah. That's why we watch it. That's why fans of the – yeah, so it's – it's and there's just so much that – it's all very. It's I don't always need the heartfelt, you know, two-person no, team no, talk. No, no, it's no, like, no. Okay, yeah, you guys are gonna have a connection in the next game, like you know, Blue Lock or. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you're gonna have a hard time with sports anime if you don't like that trope. That's yeah. like ninety percent of it. That's a whole genre. That's the whole thing. Know, Blue Lock's the only one that won't do that. I, too much. But yeah. Yeah. But I still, I try to make those connections when I'm playing FIFA. As yeah, a manager well, yeah. with a character, you, you, and and I also try to make those connections with my real football teams. It doesn't matter how you look at it, any kind of like content is you trying to get a, a cathartic experience out of it, and that and that's what story provides. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just throw in this uh, this quote here from Jenkins again with the, the the fan man, but you know fans must actively struggle with and against the meanings imposed upon them by their borrowed materials. Fans must confront media representations on an unequal terrain. So we do institutionalize. We do find you know, everyone. Everyone wants to find this mimetic desire. You know, Gerard's idea of like we we look for what we want. We want to mimic people who we think are successful or happy or, or share our ideas and values, right? And the internet is is designed through algorithms and AI to funnel us into these filter bubbles where people agree with us and they like, and we, we like the same things, uh, but it also knows that controversy sells and that they also shows you things deliberately to piss you off and upset you so that you get angry about things because you get the attention economy is predicated on you being upset about things. So it's a fact, you know, these are also fascinating things to consider with fandoms because you do wonder, and if you want to talk about responsibility, like who is like obviously people are always responsible for their own actions. Sending death threats to Hajime Isayama, the creator of Attack on Titan, is unacceptable. Whether you're Japanese, American, it's a ridiculous thing to do, and it has happened to him quite a lot. So it's a damn shame. And you know this this 
is not unique to Western fans or anime or Japanese fans. It's just a, a thing across the board, across yeah. all nations. It's a damn disgrace. And we're responsible know, for ourselves. Hundred percent. But also our own, own actions. Absolutely. And we must always be. And as fans, I think it's just a way to check ourselves and like next time you're in a forum and someone says something you don't agree with, don't descend into ad hominem and be like, you're a fucking piece of shit. How do you know? Like you're you're bad. You're wrong and therefore you should feel bad about it. You know, it's like Dude, you, you can have disputes with people and disagreements about, especially about taste, basically a, a disconnect between tastes. And I love a good debate. Hell, one of my favorite things to do is debate things. But like, you don't need it to become about your identity as a person and feel attacked as a person because someone disagrees with your opinion. It doesn't really matter that much. You know, like, it, it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Like, so in terms of, obviously, a lot of things do matter. But I mean, like, if you're getting upset because someone didn't like the CG in Trigon Stampede, or like you know, vice versa, and you're like distressed about that, then you probably should just like just not watch it. You know, yeah, just like- <laughs> chill, man. Or just stay off, stay off the internet for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. get off that forum. Like, don't worry about it. I don't know. It's just a fascinating thing to pass. And you know, obviously, we set up this show. Because we are fans. This is an ultimate. This is a fan podcast. So we're, we are podcast, we yeah. are the fans. That's, <laughs> we are fans. That's us. And we we are always navigating ourselves. You're trying we to are, find new fans. Yeah, know, we're trying, trying to, to service current fans. Hang yeah. out with fans. Yeah, man. Like, we're all fans of this. We're not perfect fans, and we're not pretending to be. And we're not trying to be fans like us. No, no, no. Be your own fan. And if you like what we have to say, that's great. And if you disagree, let's have a healthy debate about it. You know, it's all good. Before we go, though, I want to know what fandom you identify. Like, who, what do you think you're a fa- in the fandom of? Like, what? Other than anime and manga, obviously. Okay, what what well, would you say? I mean, no, I don't what think I'm part of that. Um, what what else? AFL, cricket? AFL and cricket for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Part, yeah, 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 big time. But I, I've had to get off those forums as well and stop. And, you know, because I just find like you want to talk about toxicity. <laughs> Sport forum, dude. Like, oh my God. You know, and you're right. It gets to, That gets totally normalized in society and it's fine for men to get stupidly angry about something which over which I have no control. And uh, everyone seems to be okay with that, but you're right. And then it's like, you know, but we look at a One Direction forum and we're like, you know, and treat them as morons and like- I know, and it's the same thing. I, I find same that fascinating. Thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it is really interesting. It's that majority culture though, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. numbers yeah. at it, the end it, of the day. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of, there was a lot of One Direction fans. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's international based then. Well, I think yeah. it comes to, the, you yeah. know, I don't want to get too far into this, but you know, it's patriarchy and it's, yeah, it's, it's these systems like of control. And these are, you know, there's acceptable forms of being angry apparently, which society is willing to, to tolerate. And uh, those which are feminized, which has often been a way of imperialists to uh, denigrate certain cultures in which they have imperialized and conquered. You feminize things, you know, in fact, it's a very interesting thing, which, uh, the Americans did to soccer in the 90s. They feminized it heavily uh, and therefore stopped it having any chance of becoming a, a dominant sport in that country. Yeah. And it was a very, 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 very uh, conscious decision that I believe was made by those who had a vested interest in the uh, NFL. NFL. Just fascinating to observe all this stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and just to- Everything is corrupt. Everything's fucked. But yeah, you know, I just think- um, you can be a fan of things and be healthy about it. You know, that's what we're trying to do on this show. And it's always a process. It's always a journey. We're always trying to get better. And, you know, like you catch yourself, you know, I get upset at sport. I was going to say, you're one of the most time. upset people I've seen at yeah, sport. That's yeah. why I'm fighting this very I'm upset. working through Sabs it. Sabs that you like. It's so bad for people to flash a cigarette like, boom. So, so do I, but never at that level. So it's quite nice to have somebody else do it for you. And I'm a passionate ways. man. You know, I've yelled at a few televisions in my time. Um, it's like yelling at people. It's okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been- Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> it's, it's a process and it is something that like, you know, we're all guilty of being far too obsessed with something and, and getting really upset about it and letting it really affect your life. And it's just something which as you get older, I think, you know, I've definitely mellowed a lot 
and even in, as a sport fan, as I got older, you know, just being like, fuck, man, don't worry about it. You know, like it's helps not, your team suck. And helps that no- my team's trash <laughs> this uh, last year in <laughs> AFL. But um, it's a fascinating thing. And and I think- everyone's a fan of something. That's the yeah. thing. Even people who are not like, obviously the word fan is like uh, very much uh, connotated with, you know, fanatic and being a nerdy. Like I'm a big fan of that. But I think everyone's a fan of something. They are. Like yeah. you can sit down and everyone be like, you definitely identify with some fandom. Yeah, I mean, you could you argue like, that politics is an, is an element of fandom. Absolutely. Yeah. Like anything, like, okay. so I think everyone's kind of a part of some fandom. I too I'm obsessed with my particular sports team, the Essendon Bombers, who are just as bad. I'm trying to mellow out on how emotionally connected I am to that <laughs> rubbish team. Had a few chances. I just I don't know if I actively go out looking for news. I kind of get told things from other people about that particular team. <laughs> you stopped <laughs> out. I don't know if there is any kind of media I like. I have to have that. I'm not sure if if I have that in in me at all. Like besides maybe FIFA, I usually get the New game every second year, not even every year. I can take a leave a lot of things, I guess. My fandom is exclusively fictional things. Like mm. I, I genuinely like. I like music. I like people. I like directors and things like that. But I think that I very much in the fantasy fictional world. Like I find it, I find it interesting that like yeah, like you being like an uber fan of like a real person weirds me out for some reason. It is weird. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like that's a real person. That's not a chainsaw man. Like no, I, I kind of like I, chainsaws for limbs. I, so I feel like pretty far removed from, and that's why I think that I don't take it that seriously because I'm like it's a it's a fantasy thing. I find that interesting as well. But I'm not judging you guys being sport, of course. Obviously, I'm in the vast minority for not following sport. Well, it's that contextual thing. I've grown up with that. Yeah. I've grown up with anime. It might be that. You know. I'm, Love The Simpsons, but I haven't watched that in 15 years either. But mm. See, I'd identify as a Simpsons fan. That's yeah. definitely yeah. one that is too, unfortunately a part of me. Yeah, me too. No, no, vast, it's getting outdated now. People don't get the references. That's terrible. I know. It's the kids reference. these days. <laughs> it's the children who They're are wrong. wrong. Yeah, see, um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Some for those of you just, too young to get it. But um, look, Brady, thank you so much for coming and chatting to this. I think it's a fascinating topic to talk about. Uh, again, a, a forever journey, a process for everyone all the time. And uh, again, I just think it's a unique experience being an anime fan, a Western anime fan, because we are a subculture looking at a mass cultural phenomenon and we do have very little control and or say over the thing that we love the most um and you could argue that a lot of fans are in that situation but i think particularly anime fans are because of the geographic and cultural uh, disconnect that we have to it you know one of the things we didn't delve into is like being a western anime fan particularly from when we started watching it versus what's like the crossovers of that so like gaming that kind of thing like those sort of nerdy JRPGs and, and like whatnot, which we uh, about, culture you know, kind right. of all combined into one for a bit then yeah, well, so it was like you're yeah. you're part of that nerd group you're like well, I'm a yeah. nerd. I don't know it's like and it's very different I think nowadays there's just so much like there's so much more room to watch everything I think people are a little less gatekeeper or exclusive about what they consume because they have more access to things yeah. yes and no depends Perhaps where we have to break yeah. down those further subcultures on another episode oh, well yeah. you can talk about this forever you know what I mean you yeah. can talk about this forever and I th- it just endlessly fascinating the academic side of it's fascinating as well anyway we'll come back if you like this episode let us know we'd love to come back and talk about it if it's something that might interest you let us know in any comments on whatever format you're watching this and of course we would like to thank our patrons they are of course curtis grant Stuart, dom rose caroline alex samantha and erica thank you guys so much means so 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 much thanks guys thank you catch you later